You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show, and I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and our newest sponsor, Center Club. The goal for the show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. And we have a great lineup today. Our first guest is Jen Shirkani. She is founder of her firm, and we're going to be talking about emotional intelligence. Her latest book, Ego versus EQ, Emotional Intelligence. And I have experience with Jen in that she was our featured speaker earlier today at one of our CEO peer groups. And she brought the house down. Yes, she did, ladies and gentlemen. The members of the peer group were very excited about the content that Jen shared with us. Jen, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. It's nice to have you on here. Let's start by... Tell us a little bit about your professional background, Jen. You know, how did you get to where you are now as a published author? Well, um, I had early on, uh, lucky for me, been offered an opportunity to do some training and development and be a trainer uh, at a re- large retailer there in the area, Nordstrom, and um, absolutely fell in love with the idea of helping employees be better at their jobs. And through that process, discovered that it was actually a whole career. So I decided that's what I wanted to do, and I was very fortunate. I was able to move from retail to manufacturing, manufacturing to banking, banking to pharmaceuticals, um, because, you know, it's, it's the type of thing that pretty much every company needs, and it doesn't matter if you're big or small, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in, everybody has employees, and everybody wants those employees to be more successful. So um, then about 15 years ago, I launched my own firm and um, provided training and development services early on to many clients and, again, in a variety of industries. And then since then, we've really specialized pretty much right after we got going, we, we decided to focus on emotional intelligence. And I say we, me, and I have a small team that works for me. Two of my coaches, consultants, have been with me for 10 years now. So they've had a very strong influence over the direction of our firm. And now today we spend uh, most of our time doing executive coaching and uh, management consulting and assessments and things related to helping leaders be more successful and effective at leading whatever function they're responsible for. And your firm coaches and works with clients across the country. We do. We do. I'm, I'm an Orange County girl. I grew up out there and uh, born and raised. And then nine years ago, I relocated to the East Coast. And since then, our company has expanded and we have clients all over the country now, and I still visit California quite often and visit my clients out there. And then my team is scattered across the country, so we we go where the clients are. What type of clients uh, generally engage you and your consultants, Jen? We generally work with medium and large companies, those that um, have a, a sort of a rank of a middle manager and above, Um, Those that need help with coaching or giving feedback to their current leaders and or they're foreseeing that they'll need future leaders and they want to start getting people ready for those jobs before they need them in those jobs. Um, So companies that are um, either large or have growth that's requiring people to take on more responsibility fairly quickly. So you said early in your firm's history, you decided to put a lot of focus on this idea of emotional intelligence. For those people in the audience who are 
not that familiar with the concept of emotional intelligence before we get into the specifics of your book and and what you can talk about in that content give us a overarching definition or appreciation for emotional intelligence okay i will so emotional intelligence or eq which is often used as the nickname for it is um, three main things it is one your ability to recognize yourself so it's how well you know your strengths, your weaknesses, even your emotional makeup. So if you're in a bad mood, knowing you're in a bad mood, knowing why you're in a bad mood. Um, it's knowing how you're seen by others. So it's social awareness as well. And then it's your ability to read situations and people accurately. So it's being able to kind of walk into a meeting and sensing the mood of the room before anybody has said a word. Um, so it's, it's plugging into other people and picking up the signals that they give in response to you. And then the third component of EQ is your ability to respond and adjust your behavior to meet the needs of those around you. So instead of coming at everything as a one-size-fits-all, you are able to modify and change in the moment based on the audience you're with or the circumstances you're in. Okay, so let me see if I understand this then. It is self-awareness, understanding your mood and kind of what triggers you, and your ability to sense other people and then manage your own interaction with them so that you're you know building a better relationship or not antagonizing them or something along those lines so self-management and relationship management is that fair it is can people be good and uh, can they have very varying ability across those three areas then i mean or are they all kind of if you're good at one thing you're good at the other two no i think that they're all um individual skills and they're all things that we're constantly having to pay attention to because you know self-awareness we change right we grow we develop and it's important that we're connecting to who we are today and not who we were 10 years ago you know I, I work with some leaders who still manage the company the way they did a decade earlier when they had a smaller company less experienced employees a different complexity and they're still kind of seeing themselves the way they used to. And I always say, you're not seeing who you are today. You need to have the self-awareness to know that today you're a different person than you were. So it's something that, you know, we always have to kind of keep our eye on. It's not like once you have it, you have it. You don't have to think about it again. In your research and as you were preparing to write the book, so both in your professional practice, the research you did, and then the, in your book, are any one of those three areas more challenging for people for leaders you know we ceos of middle market companies are the people that listen to our radio show and 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 so i'm just wondering is it easier to be self-aware and harder to be kind of relationship aware or does does research suggest anything about difficult degree of difficulty across those different areas of emotional intelligence well i think you know the first one and the last one are the biggest challenges for everybody and the first one is the self-awareness piece and that the way to have self-awareness is to get it from feedback and the feedback gets more and more difficult to get especially the higher up you go in your career um, because we've all we've all heard the you know the story about the emperor who was wearing no clothes and no one dared bring that up so um, you know as you ascend in your career the feedback faucet will slowly close and getting that feedback becomes tougher and tougher. And without it, self-awareness becomes more and more elusive. Interesting. And then I think the third component, the, the self-management piece, is also difficult. Um, a lot of, especially entrepreneurs, our um, research suggests are lower in impulse control. And, you know, I think any strength overused can become a big weakness for us. Right. And some of the greatest strengths we have as entrepreneurs is our ability to size up a situation quickly, assess its potential, make decisions on the fly, use our gut. And all those things are wonderful things, and we probably couldn't even start and establish companies without them. But, again, overused, without a regulation on them, 
they can become our greatest weakness and set us up for failure. Hmm. And we're going to be talking about uh, emotional intelligence, EQ, and we're going to talk next after the break with Jen Shirkani, author of Ego versus EQ. But first, we're going to listen to these words from our commercial sponsors. So stay there, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability, CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willie of Fidelity National Financial to name a few. In short, we were bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. talk about your family business you know that thing you put your whole life's blood sweat and tears into well what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children at succession strategies we can help you find the answers we'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Jen Shikani is our guest here on this segment, and she is the author of Ego vs. EQ. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days, and we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live on Internet radio station octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, Jen, let's spend this segment of the radio show talking about your latest book, Ego versus EQ. Can you give us a sense for who did you write it for and what's a little bit of, of the content? Sure. So I wrote the book um, for leaders, and uh, as I said, I've been certified in several of the assessments on EQ, and I had spent a lot of time inside organizations both helping leaders get more EQ as well as sort of diagnosing when IQ might be the culprit in why someone was derailing. And 
I started to notice that um, as important as EQ became, the higher up somebody went in a company, um, or the bigger their company became if they were a founder, the more difficult it became to have EQ and maintain it. And so I was trying to figure out why that was the case. And what I uncovered is that we run into these ego traps that set us up in a lot of ways. And so I really wrote the book for business owners and senior leaders who want to help themselves, who want to you know, eliminate the, their own behavior as one of the risks of failure and really be willing to take a look at the role that they're playing inside their organization and eliminate any of the barriers that were in their control to eliminate so they could propel the company forward. Jen, I think that's so interesting that your research shows that the further you go in your career or the higher you are in the corporate or the company, if you're the founder, the harder it is to maintain you know, your emotional intelligence, your EQ, and you probably need it even more the larger your firm gets and the more people are kind of sampling you and, and monitoring you. Uh, in your book, I know you talk about eight ego traps that affect business leaders in ways and, and, and what they can do to try to, first of all, be aware of it and then to avoid it from affecting them. I wonder if you could uh, talk a little bit about kind of an overall summary of those eight ego traps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um you know, I was trying to figure out what are they and how consistent are they across either organizations or roles or industries. And what I found is that no matter where we went, I was seeing them, my team was seeing them, and they were things that we could very clearly identify for readers and help them start to recognize for themselves. So we we identified the top eight, most popular eight um and in the book, I sort of describe what they all are and what they look like. And there are things like ignoring feedback you don't like, not letting go of control, um, underestimating how much you're being watched, and losing touch with the frontline experience. And um, so each one has distinct differences. And not every person, not every leader is going to be affected by all eight you know each one of us probably has one or two that when we read it we think oh boy that one is probably mine you know so luckily it's not something that everyone has all eight you probably have a couple though that you'll want to start paying attention to and you you, um you talk about eq people are probably maybe more familiar with the term iq are there any correlations between EQ and IQ? Do they change over time? What does your research suggest, Jen? Well, the research shows that um, longitudinal studies of IQ, which is intelligence quotient, shows that, surprisingly, at least to me, IQ does not change. Um, it, it grows as a child, and then it will max out, it'll stop um, by the time you're in your late teens. And after that, if you take an IQ test, you know, every year or every five years for the rest of your life, research shows that it won't change. It's set. EQ, on the other hand, does increase, and it's something that you can actively develop. And at the highest levels of the company, again, it plays out to be way more important than IQ anyway which is why one of the early reasons why I devoted my career and my company to this, because this is the thing that we can all do something with and in the end makes the most difference anyway. Jen, you made a very big statement that I want you to back up, that as as people move through their careers or as their company expands and grows with more and more people, that EQ is a more important quality than IQ. Why Why is the research saying that, and how can you support that statement? So um, what we know about the ability to recognize, read, and respond is that you are a more engaging leader, and everybody now today is talking about employee engagement. You know, that's the new holy grail, right? We used to say employee satisfaction, and there were a lot of employee satisfaction surveys out there, and so we always thought, Happy employees are the best employees. <laughs> and more and more, we keep seeing research that says 
happy employees aren't necessarily the best employees. In fact, sometimes the worst employees are the happiest. And um, so what it's really about is engagement, and that is an employee's willingness to go above and beyond, you know, put in extra effort, feel a commitment, feel a connection to their company, and do things that they don't have to do but they want to do. And in one of the great foundational books on this topic, which is called First Break All the Rules, the research shows that the number one predictor of employee engagement is the relationship an employee has with their direct supervisor. Hmm. So the more emotionally intelligent the leader is, the more emotionally engaged and committed the employees are. Okay. I, I buy in because I'm a big fan of employee engagement. Matter of fact, I think for the people that listen to the show, they know how many times Rick Franzi on Critical Mass Radio Show has talked about how important and a competitive differentiator employee engagement truly is. And we are talking with Jen Shikani. She's the author of Ego versus EQ. We have about three minutes left. You, you said three R's, and I wrote them down real quickly, but I'm wondering, uh, read, react, or respond. What, what, are, what were the three R's that you said relative to EQ? It's recognize, yes. which is recognize yourself, read situations and people accurately, and respond in ways that are most appropriate. I think that's that's hugely simple to understand, and it's a good common foundation for every leader to think about how they recognize, read, and respond, right? Recognize, read, and respond? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's really the secret in the, in the book. That's what we talk about is every single trap. Your way out of it is to recognize, read, and respond. Okay. Here are the things you need to be looking for. So, so is this somewhat a how-to, not a how-to guide, that sounds a little, I don't mean to make it sound that way, but I mean, is it a practical yeah. guide to help people, since you said EQ can be worked on and, and enhanced and developed, does this book help leaders do that? It does, and that was my intention. So um, it's, it's filled with a lot of just immediate tips. You know, I'm all for applicability, practicality, so I just filled it with things that you could do today. And it's, you know, a mix of my stories and experiences and and what other leaders have run into and combined with some of the research and sort of the science behind it. So I also wanted a book that wasn't too textbook feeling but was also um, more anecdotal in nature, too. So it's a blend of both. So we're speaking with Jen Shirkani. We're talking about her book, Ego versus EQ. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Jen um, came to my CEO peer, one of my CEO peer groups meetings this morning, and she spent an hour plus going through some of the content in the book. And we only have 20 minutes here on Critical Mass Radio Show today, so we're not able to go as deep. But let me just tell you that some of the stories that she related to us in the CEO peer group uh, are an interesting read as they relate to being in the book. So I, I, I think it's not only a helpful guide, but it's going to be, it is an interesting read for people who kind of maybe can see themselves in some of the examples that you share with your audience in the book. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. <laughs> so if someone wanted to buy your book, and who wouldn't that's out there today as a leader, because you, you talked about how much they're being watched. I, I say to my to the CEOs that are in my peer groups, you're way oversampled, right? You walk down the hall, and everybody notices that you're walking down the hall, and they begin to figure out what you're thinking about based on your gait or your facial expressions or whatever. I mean, it's almost too much sampling because no one can be that, you know, no one should be watched that closely. But um, how do they find your book, Jen? If someone wants to buy this book, first of all, what formats are it in and how do you find it? Okay, so it is available at your local Barnes & Noble. If you're um, a bookstore, old-school bookstore lover, you can go buy it at Barnes & Noble. It's also available on Amazon, and it is offered in traditional book print. It's also offered as an ebook, both at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and it's also offered as an audiobook on audible.com if you are an audio listener and want to listen to it on an iPad or iPod while you're driving or working out. Or I have an Android phone, and, and I have audible.com on my Android oh, yeah. phone, too. Or so. any type of smart smart device. Yeah. Exactly. You so, could do an audio. So yeah. is this book positioning you among the thought leaders in the area of emotional intelligence, EQ? I mean, it, it must be the recognition for your, your understanding, your intellectual property around this, your eight traps. I mean, this must be 
positioning you through speaking engagements, etc., as a sought-after person to talk about these topics for leaders? Well, I'm very lucky and very fortunate that um, it's had a very strong um, response. And it is sort of, when I when I was doing the research for the book, I was thinking, this is already out there. This book must already be written. I have to go find it because I need to read it. And I couldn't find it. So I think that's one reason is this is a component. We've talked about emotional intelligence for quite a while, sort of the grandfather of EQ, Daniel Goleman. His research came out and his work came out in the 90s. And then it kind of drifted off because it was hard for people to understand how to use it. And so for me, I'm hoping I'm breathing some new life into a concept that's been around a while, but taking a whole different approach to it and making it much more user-friendly. I love authors who write books for my audience, which are leaders of small and middle market, lower middle market companies, $100 million companies and smaller. Clearly, if you're running a larger organization, you could benefit from Jen's book as well. But if you're that entrepreneur and I would say early entrepreneurs, too, could benefit because then they'll know what to do so that they don't become the do. governor. Right, or what not to do. Right. So, all right. No, absolutely. Your audience is, is exactly who I wrote this book for. Well, there you go. How can they not go out and buy it today? Hopefully they're online doing it right now if they're listening live or if they're listening as a podcast later, they're doing it as they're listening to the show. Jen, any other websites or places that people should go to find out more about you and your firm? Yes, you can uh, learn more about me at jenshirkhani.com, and you can learn more about the book at egoversusbseq.com, and my firm is Penumbra Group, and our website is penumbra, P-E-N-U-M-B-R-A.com. But lucky for me, my last name is quite unique, so if you just Google search Jen Shirkani, you'll find everything. How would I spell Shirkani if I didn't know? S-H-I-R-K-A-N-I. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I would encourage you strongly to research Jen, find her book, and consider her. If you're looking to build emotional intelligence and EQ in your company and you as a leader, I can't think of a better organization than to partner with than Jen and her firm. So thanks for being a friend of the program. Thanks for giving so much time and being such a valuable part of our community, Jen. Oh, pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. You too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was and is Jen Shirkani, and again, her book, Ego Versus EQ. And we're going to take a break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And when we come back, our second guest will be here in the studio, and we'll continue the conversation after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. 
These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. Last month, we delivered over 37,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions. If you'd like to learn more about advertising, contact Rose Chamora. 951-515-4661. All right, our second guest is here in the studio. He's partner at Anton and Chai. He's Nicholas Pulisio. Palacio? Palacio. Palacio. All right, I knew I had it until I had to say it, and he's Italian and he's Sicilian just like me. I should give him. Anyway, tell me a little bit about your professional background and training, Nicholas. It's nice to have you in the studio. Uh, my professional background, I've been doing this for about 14 years here in Orange County. Uh, started off at a local firm uh, here in Irvine, Corbin & Wirtz, which then became Corbin & Company. Uh, spent a few years there, then moved over to McLadry, and then uh, bounced around a couple small firms and eventually bought one of them out. And in August of last year, merged in with an old buddy of mine that I'd worked with in the past, um, Anton and Chia. So you were a you're a business owner now you're a partner at the firm huh that's that's uh, you're a relatively young man you look like you can't see because this is well you can see if you watch the YouTube video which will be up here uh, over the weekend but if you're listening to us live or as a podcast you can't see Nicholas's face and maybe you saw his picture but that's pretty impressive that you decided to get into being a a business owner as early as you did in your career why did you do that I've I've owned several businesses over over the years I've always been the youngest one at pretty much anything I've done. It just seemed like a, a natural progression for me once I got to the point where I felt like I could do it on my own. So let's talk about uh, your firm, Anton and Chia. Uh, what is, what's unique about the firm? Why do clients choose to do business with your CPA firm? Can you give us a sense for your differentiation? Sure. So we're, we're a boutique firm, um, and what's unique about us is we're an international boutique firm. We do, we do about 20% of our business in, in China. We do quite a bit of business in, in Europe, Eastern Europe, a little bit in Africa, Mexico, South America, and Canada. We have uh, our personal offices are here in, in uh, Newport Beach, San Diego. Uh, we will have one soon in Westlake. Uh, we have an office in Vancouver. And then we have our affiliate offices in Hong Kong and Mexico City. Think about your guiding principle. Nicholas, we talk about that here on Critical Mass Radio Show, is kind of your overarching belief system about you know what you do to help your clients. So can you think about what your guiding principle is and spend a minute and share that with our audience? One of the main things that we do, the big portion of our work is, is working with small and middle market companies, um, otherwise known as nano-cap, micro-cap, and small-cap companies. Whoa! Um, <laughs> It's just, it, it's just, it, it used to just be small cap, and then they came out with all these other smaller definitions. Yes. <laughs> but, but what we do is, is, is we help private companies who want to go public go public, and we help uh, small public companies stay public. Okay. Um, and we, we guide them through, through the process, and, and uh, mainly it's just it's really boring stuff, financial statement audits, reviews, stuff like that, advisory services. But it's a heavy responsibility to be a small capitalized company and to be public. It is. And, and what happens is a lot of these private companies, 
want to go to the next level and uh, decide to go public for one reason or another. And you know, eight, nine times out of ten, they really don't know what they're getting themselves into. Right. And, and so it's very important that they surround themselves with the right service professionals to help them through the process. Yeah, I would think. and Because they share the same reporting burden as much larger multinational corporations, right? Very similar, yes, it, it, with with, uh, with small deviations, but yes, pretty much. Yeah, they're carrying that same burden, Sarbanes-Oxley, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. I mean, they have the same risk, right, in reporting that the larger corporations have. So having someone like you who's skilled in helping them do what has to be done, but maybe do it in a way that allows them to be a successful business? Yes, and so, yeah, one of our goals is to... You know, and, and we put it different ways, but to get in, get out as painlessly as possible. <laughs> so because at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're a compliance function, right? right? No, nobody wants an audit. They have to have an audit. And someone's mandating it for one reason or another. And so, and we know that. And, and so when we go in, we, we do our best to make it as efficient a process as possible, make it as painless a process as possible, and also uh, add value to our service by advising them and giving them uh, best practices uh, based on our experience with other companies. So you also help companies that are in the planning stages to go public. Correct. So CEOs of middle market companies, and I define middle market companies as companies with revenue of $100 million or less. Mm -hmm. So technically it's the lower middle market if we want to start slicing, right? Right. But we just say middle market here. So $100 million. Why, Why would they go from a privately held firm to a public company, what would be your advice? And when you're working with clients that are considering that, kind of how do you how do you help them decide if they even should go public? And if so, what's the value of that? Well, and, and that's a great question because it really depends on the circumstances. There's there's some individuals that will come to me and say, "I want to be Facebook. I want to go public. I want to do this." And I'll and I'll ask them why, and what, <laughs> what what's what's your goal? Where where do you you know what what really do you want to uh, achieve by doing that? And sometimes I'll talk them out of it because it's just it's not the right fit. It's because it is it is a big burden. You you have all the same reporting requirements. Other companies, it, it is the right fit. Where is it the right fit? Right is you know really when when a company is at a point where they can no longer grow on on their own horsepower, so to speak. Okay. They they need that additional push, that additional backing and uh, financing from other sources in order to get them get them over that hump. So it's really the the infusion of capital from the from going public that is a driver for it, growth for some ca- companies, right? T- typically that's what we see and okay. in, in other cases it's an exit strategy. Okay. That's the other time. Yeah, I built this value and I would like to get it out in some way and mm-hmm. this is a liquidity event then exactly. for them. Yes. Okay. But you can you can fall in love with the liquidity event and maybe forget about the reporting requirements that are going that are going to follow you, right? Right, and yeah. and yeah, when and other times they get they get talked into it, and once they're in there, they are very surprised by the amount of responsibility, additional responsibility that they're assuming right. by being a public company. Because many times a private company going public, it's not just the founder or the CEO, the owner who gets the liquidity event. Many times it's the key employees, the long-term employees. So you get this whole energy about, oh, we're going to go public, and, and I've got 100,000 shares, and it's at 50 cents, and you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So if you back away from that as a CEO and business owner because maybe you realize it's not in the company's best interest, that's a hard dynamic to undo. So my advice to CEOs that are considering public going public as an option is to consult with a CPA firm like Nicholas's as early in your deliberative process as possible so you don't misset expectations of your employee population. Correct. Correct. And, and and so recently, I was involved in in one uh, company in the Valley who who recently went public. And just like you said, in the build up to it, I was speaking to them, and they were excited. They were just beyond themselves. <laughs> and then it happened, and reality starts setting in. And I and I I pull one of the owners aside and say, "How are you feeling?" Oh, I'm scared. I and, and he used a couple four letter words that I probably shouldn't say, but. Okay. He, but <laughs> real scared? I'm real scared? That's a four-letter word. Was that, was that well, I was scared S-less. Very scared? S-less, so yeah. well, well, we'll say that. Okay. <laughs> right. But, um, but, yeah, because reality started setting in of, of what the requirements were. Um, you know, but 
we we were there. They they brought in a, a good competent counsel to help right. them through the process and started hiring people who knew what they were doing to help guide them through through all the the requirements. And in no way am I trying to suggest to middle market CEOs that you should not go public, that it's not worth it, because I actually think it is a very powerful strategy mm-hmm. for the right companies. As a matter of fact, it, it sometimes it's the only way to unlock the real value of the company. Correct. And so I'm I'm a fan of that, and I think Nicholas's firm would be a great firm for you to talk to Anton and Chia, and we're going to be giving their website here a little bit later in the radio program. But I think it's time to take our our final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. We've got much more to talk about, like uh, the kind of things that companies should be planning and focusing on as they're taking their company public. What are the four different types of clients, public, private, and public offerings and hedge funds? So we've got a lot to cover with Nicholas. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsor. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Uh, hi, this is Rick Franzi. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. Quite an interesting uh, session we're having here in the live studio. I want to appreciate and thank uh, Nicholas Pulisio for being a good fan about our little technical difficulty that happened earlier. And some things we can fix and post, but that one probably will live on the podcast as well. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our radio show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days, and we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. As I said before, all shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station OCTalkRadio.net or rebroadcast from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right. So your company works with four different types of clients, public companies, private companies, public offerings, and hedge funds. Okay. So some of those have uh, – let's talk about them in, in general. How do you help – a hedge fund in in their deliberation what's your role uh, my role personally is limited that's one of my other partners specialties okay so that's help his realm of the world he deals a lot with uh those transactions and handling and managing the uh helping the hedge funds go through the process uh, identify investments due diligence uh buy side sell side type okay. transactions okay so companies may not be going public or they've gone public and a hedge fund may want to become an investor in that company mm-hmm. yeah or, or or even just a, a private investment okay, so, private so investment. yes so so hedge funds will will come to us if they've identified a target they want to invest in and they need due diligence procedures performed on them just make sure this is legit and they what they're telling me is in there is actually in there and so so auditing work is really the area where your firm is being called on by hedge funds and other companies to help 
go with a public process or public offerings, etc. Yeah, well, it's assurance work, right? So, so there's there's different uh, instances. So it could be agreed upon procedures or audit or review, depending on on the level of assurance okay. they, they need. Okay. So let's talk about the public public offering space. When in in your firm is Anton and Chia, mm-hmm. and when how, which what's the firm's role in public offerings? It depends. So if okay. if we if we come on board as as the auditors, obviously that our our role is limited to audit and some advisory and um, limited consulting type stuff. Uh, on occasion, we will be brought in as just a consultant, and so we will help the company actually through the process. Okay. Put, put them in touch with all the right people, get them in contact with the investors, the attorneys, and you know put the team together for them to help and get all their package and, and materials together for somebody else to audit. And uh, typically, that's a lower risk engagement for us, and so the fees are t- typically a little bit lower. But, um, you know, sometimes it's a little more fun. Do you find people, how do you find the activity in this area of private companies planning to go public with a public offering? My assumption is, it may be ignorant, that but during the recession, that might have slowed down just because inherent values, etc. It wasn't the time to be trying to oh, float. Yeah, it dried up. Okay. It, it, it really did. It dried up because everybody was scared. Uh, every, everybody. They're, they held on really tight to their money and were very cautious where they put it. Uh, downside to it, there wasn't very many places to put it and um, other than the stock market and you know, we we've seen what history um, what happened, right? So, not until really the last few years, when the economy stabilized, you know, we started having slow growth. Did the investors start coming back out and putting money into uh, into companies, right? Into a lot of companies, and and so then the IPO and reverse merger type transactions picked up quite a bit. Okay, so we have about three minutes left here with Nicholas, and I, and I, I guess since my demographic are CEOs of lower middle market companies, and my sense is that many, if not most of them, are privately held companies, mm-hmm. they're not public companies, what advice would you give to that CEO that's listening now or listening as a podcast in the future about maybe he's never or she's never even really thought about public going public as an option, but... What advice would you give them to, at the very early stages of thinking about moving in, a, in that direction? What, what, what advice could you help them out with? Well, the first step is getting in touch with the right professionals, getting your own counsel, um, and getting either an accountant or a CPA who has public company experience, SEC experience, to advise and, and counsel in, in it. The, the, the same thing that I... Um, that I referred to earlier, the conversation I had with the with the company that wanted to be Facebook, uh-huh. right? I sat them down. I drew the plan on the back of a napkin over lunch, and I said, why do you want to go public? And we had that conversation. That conversation needs to take place and figure out if it's the right option for them. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it just isn't, and there's uh, and it also depends on the amount of funds that they want to raise. Mm-hmm. Do you ever... Uh, find public companies coming to you to say, okay, well, we want to go the other way. We want to take this thing back private. I've seen it on occasion. Um, not recently, uh, okay. but I'm, I'm sure we may start seeing that in, in, a, in a few years' time. Yeah, because going public, there's so many decisions that have to be made, and I don't know how an entrepreneur could successfully do it without help. If you've never done it before, this isn't the kind, this, is, this isn't something you're going to, I mean, this you need the advice of people who've been there and done that. Oh, you're right. Correct, and there's there's so many rules and 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 regulations around it, not just from from an accounting perspective, but all the different reporting requirements to the SEC and and the due dates. I mean, some you have four days to report, some are ten days, some are forty five, ninety. It's just it. And for a, a business owner out there who's never done this before. I mean, it, they can't be expected to know right. all this. Right. And you add a whole new level of stakeholders to your business. You know, you have clients, you have family members when you're a private company. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have some type of investors behind the business, and you certainly have your employees. But when you go public and your stock is purchased on an open market, right, mm-hmm. uh, then, you, then you have a new class of people that are invested in your company, which you may not have a personal relationship with anymore. Which is, I think is somewhat different from a private company where you t- you kind of know the money people behind the private company, right? 
whether it's p- private equity or whatever. Correct. And and so there's there's two things. There's there's obviously the 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 governance and the responsive reporting responsibilities. Then there is the also the you know the level of control or lack of control and the other opinions. And so this this morning I was in a, at an annual meeting where the shareholders were were voting whether or not to keep the current board on. <laughs> And that's their right. And that's their right. And and you know a uh, a public company with uh, a public company with good governance has an annual meeting and gives the shareholders that option. But you have depend. You don't you don't know what what will come out of that. Right. Right. And so um, let's just kind of close with where you see the future of of comp- private companies moving to public. Uh, is there, are there any trends there? You know, I kind of think technology companies are the ones that are probably the most prime for doing this. Is that true? Is that is that opinion valid? Or are other industries equally as excited about it moving from private to public? Well, and, and, and that's that's a good question because I, I have seen trends. So for a while there was biotech. It was every little biotech right. firm out there was going public. Every, anybody with a great idea was going public. And then, um, and then it switched to e- – and then it was e-commerce and then it wasn't. Lately, I've been seeing energy, energy and mining. Oh wow! Is right. is is what uh, a those lot of are capital intense industries too. So going public can really help you take the business to the next level, Correct. right? So I could see why they would want to do that. Yeah. Plus, we have such a renaissance in energy in this country. It right. I mean, we're we're becoming more and more of an energy independent nation, mm-hmm. which is almost unthinkable for those of us that remember all the way back to the seventies when we were waiting in line for oil for gasoline so okay right. so energy energy seems to be a big one uh and real estate interestingly enough really real estate seems to be coming back there's been a couple interesting variations of it that uh i hadn't expected um one of them dealing with retirement homes so um kind well, of a- that's a macro demo- demographic trend too right mm-hmm. retirement homes as they ate baby boomers age correct Demand and supply, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Good investments. Yeah, and and uh, high capital investment requirements. Another place where you have a high capital requirement. Manufacturing, do you see? Not not recently as much. Okay. Uh, I mean there there has been, and it just it, again it depends on the circumstances uh, of where they're trying to go. So manufacturing firms, you know, they they may hit a limit of what their capital and what their uh, borrowing ability will allow them to do Mm -hmm. okay nicholas if someone would like to learn more about you and anton and chia how do they find you online online it is www.ancsecservices.com give me that one more time please www.ancsecservices.com Com. Okay, I got it the second time. I see. I see the <laughs> the hidden meaning behind the name. Okay, great. Uh, any other way? Uh, directly nine four nine five four four five eight five five. Tell us that one more time. Nine four nine five four four five eight five five. Okay, Nicholas Pulisio, I appreciate you giving us the time. I apologize for the earlier technical difficulties. I think we survived it here on live radio, and we'll see what Crystal, our producer, can do to fix it. So if you're listening to a podcast and you go, it didn't sound that bad, that's because Crystal worked her magic as she usually does. Thanks for being a friend of the program. Welcome to the community, Nicholas. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to have to head out here. I'd like to thank... I guess I'd like to thank Paul, our engineer, for today's show. Certainly want to thank Crystal Nunley, who's our producer, Asia Celestino, who is our marketing strategist, Melissa Padani, who's our social media manager and live events coordinator, Rose Chamorro, our VP of sales, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. I'd also like to thank our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club of Costa Mesa. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will will move your company in a positive direction. Listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 